the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Let's get it going right here and right now. This is New Generation Declassified. And you're listening to an all-new episode of this New Generation Declassified here exclusively on the Two-Man Power Trip of Wrestling Podcasting Empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is The Chadster, and every single week I am joined here by my crack broadcast team as we take a look back at the glory days of professional wrestling, a golden era that was kind of after a golden era. Looking back, it was... uh, A little bit better than I think it got credit for at the time. But we talk about the new generation every single week on the new generation declassified. And this week, we kind of turn the dial to look at a television show specifically as we look at the January 8th, 1996 Monday Night Raw, which features the debut of a man only known as the ringmaster so without beating around the bush any longer let's welcome in the broadcast team first from the garden state getting ready to uh put on his million dollar suit fresh off of the million dollar team episode last week the corporation it is mr cp himself cp what's going on in your world tonight uh nothing much just relaxing had a pretty long day but i'm doing good right now excited to uh follow up on our million dollar episode and talk about this raw that includes this uh fairly historic uh debut and uh i think for everybody out there in podcast lands we're gonna give them a chance to be somebody <laughs> just reach out your hand just make sure <laughs> you stick out your hand and and that's how we'll get it going uh but down there in the sunshine state uh, the man who's given us the visuals on our end, Timmy W. Tim, uh, I know uh, you liked his run right before he got to the WWF. Uh, the superstar, Steve Austin, making his debut on this show. Quite the memorable one. And you've got the visuals here to uh, to guide us the rest of the way. Yeah, for sure. I love uh, that, that ECW version especially. And I uh, even loved the uh, stunning days as well. But um. All I can say is, I love you. <laughs> that was the worst part uh, of anything uh, I could say is uh, having to see uh, Blubber Love on uh, on this episode. It was a good five years where he was gone, and then he was back randomly at the end of 95. Uh, but the tale of the superstar Steve Austin turning into the ringmaster takes center stage on the January 8th, 1996 edition of Monday Night Raw, which I pointed out to CP just as we were getting rolling here, was actually taped on December 18th, 1995. So they closed out the year knowing where they were headed in 96, uh, but they taped a shitload of television that night in Newark, Delaware, um, where basically, I mean, they ran the gamut from, uh, let's see, the first show they taped was the 12-18-95 edition of Monday Night Raw, and they literally taped going all the way through to the last show here i have documented is uh january 15th 96 is uh, wow. the amount of television they taped on this uh this one television taping in newark delaware 
So, so the Chiefs know. had a field day for a month, didn't they? Yes, they absolutely did. But I don't know what they could have, what the boys could have been thinking on this show. The continuity needed to be on point. They needed to have literally every step uh, of each week ready for almost a month of television taped in one night. And guess what? Here's the beauty of it all, folks. Those were just Monday Night Raw tapings. They still tape superstars in the other shows in a separate taping. So you got a, a, a WWF Mania exclusive match, okay. You got a few dark matches, okay. But besides that, if you bought a ticket that evening, you got your money's worth because you literally saw the next four weeks of Monday Night Raw. That's a lot of taping. Uh, that's partially probably part of the reason uh, you end up getting an encore at some point on this show. Uh, but, yeah, no, that's tons of TV taping for one night. So the Just days of the 90s, man. I mean, that was what it was back then. It was about tapings. Yeah. Just the amount of uh, physical uh, work that goes into one television program uh, is enough. But for them to have to come back out and have the light set and have everything look kind of the same, but, you know, switch it up a little bit. Uh, they did themes for this show. They taped the Raw Bowl episode of Monday Night Raw during this taping. Um, but who would have thought that, you know, sandwiched in the middle was this it just historic debut of who would later become Stone Cold Steve Austin. But yeah, the, the ringmaster, a.k.a. superstar Steve Austin, a.k.a. stunning Steve Austin, or as he would be referred to as he was making his way uh, down to the ring by uh, Vince McMahon, a guy who we know his credentials. We know who this guy is. So that was the old school way of saying He's got a new name. He's not the person that we're gonna we we've known from other companies. This is our version of him, but you know who it is, and we don't need to tell you. <laughs> it was interesting though. There was a little juxtapose because Ted DiBiase then said, "You've never seen him before." When he when he was introducing him, it was kind of back and forth between commentary and DiBiase. Yeah, that's that is definitely something that is old school, and and it is missed because you know even we'll go back to the Legion of Doom debuting in nineteen ninety. They basically made it was like, like it was a fresh debuting tag team. You know what I mean? And obviously, we all knew who the Road Warriors were. Uh, but when they stepped through the WWF entranceway, I mean, it's a it's a brand new, it, it's absolutely new entity. Ronnie Garvin was the NWA champion like a year before he came into the WWF. But now instead of being hands of stone, Ronnie Garvin, he's rugged Ronnie Garvin. And he's basically, you know, an opening match, uh, lower card guy. And you know what? That's because he's in the WWF now. What you did outside, maybe with the exception of a Ric Flair, what you did outside of the company did not exist. And this is a guy, Steve Austin, who we had seen in WCW rise through the ranks, have an amazing run with the Hollywood Blondes. Um, you know, now is just being portrayed to us as somebody new because he did look a lot different than we had seen him in the uh, the, the past few years. Clean shaven and basically a uh, crew cut. Hanging on to those last little fibers of hair that he had. <laughs> that was a cool little, uh, definitely a totally different look for Steve Austin. He wasn't yet in the uh, full Stone Cold look. He didn't have his goatee yet. And he, as you mentioned, he had the crew cut, but he was, you know, he didn't have the long flowing stunning Steve look anymore. And he even had the long scraggly blonde hair in ECW. So yeah, it was totally different look going there for him. So digress but you know the, the hair comment um, though. Do you, I'm sure you guys know the story of the, the Hogan story. Wasn't he supposed to, he pitched or he was pitched to be like Hogan's brother at one time and have a feud before he left WCW. 
Yeah, he pitched the idea of uh, doing something with the Hulkster, and they shot it down uh, out of the sky. Um, you know, because at that point, that's not where they saw him. They didn't see him as Hulk Hogan's, you know, uh, buddy or Hulk Hogan's best friend or Hulk Hogan's brother. They didn't see that uh, at that point. But I guess they saw Dave Sullivan. Yeah, it looks. Yeah, exactly. They, they, it seems like they seem Dave, they saw Dave Sullivan as more of a match uh, to be the Hulkamaniac in training than they did uh, yeah. Steve Austin. And that would lead to, you know, the fact that uh, when he got to ECW, those promos that he cut in character where he was dressed up like Hulk Hogan and he was ripping on what was going on there was so um, it, w- it was so fresh for him because he got told, no, this is not something that is going to be for you. You're you're not a main event player. And, you know, obviously we would learn that in years down the road that that was kind of what drove Stone Cold Steve Austin. But as the ringmaster here, and we'll get to, you know, the full debut and unveiling, um, you just, you saw something a lot different and it was just a, a very dialed down version of Stone Cold. I mean, he still kind of talked like him a little bit. He was a lot, a lot more wrestler speak in this promo. He just sounded to me like a generic wrestler, but I don't want to, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Um, but just nonetheless, uh, just for the context of when this was taped, so the Survivor Series was, you know, towards the tail end of November 95. And that's the next night is when Shawn Michaels uh, went down with his post-concussion uh, syndrome um, and taken off of television. So here we are fast forwarding to now really only a month later where they're taping all these shows and the, the package which would be broadcast on January 8th, 96 is, is the press conference where Shawn Michaels announces he's coming back and in the 96 rumble. So it's just in the, in a wrestling uh, timeline wise, it was only a few weeks later, but here we are. It's January 8th when they're broadcasting the show. So to me, it's just, it's a masterful production uh, styling there for the WWF. Yeah, no, it's definitely a testament to their organization at that period of time. Uh, It's, it's, yeah, it's great that they could do all that. And I mean, kudos to Shawn Michaels for, you know, making it to the rumble when doctors told him to retire. (laughs) <laughs> one more kick or whatever it was in Shawn Michaels career would be over. Uh, and it's just so funny. I love when you see these kinds of storylines and to know, you know, that he would basically hang on for another 20 years, <laughs> you know, or, or, or 15 years, whatever the hell it was when he finally I'm, called it quits. I'm just glad he got that smile back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He picked up the ball. Uh, but, you know, nonetheless, uh, that's the narrative for the opener of the show. Um, you know, Shawn Michaels is back. You can hit the play button here so we can kind of uh, talk over it. Um, and I love the kind of, you know, the, the WWF uh, presser here. It's not just done like at Titan Tower in the basement. I think they actually did this like on location somewhere and they got the cool Royal Rumble banner behind a, a very, um, very serious uh, HBK. Um, uh, but the funny part was, is this opener continued. It dialed back to one of our, you know, first episodes that we talked about. The whole <laughs> billionaire Ted takes a huge uh, stage in this episode because uh, those sketches were rocking and rolling. But billionaire Ted, it was, I was, I really, I laughed my ass off when Scheme Gene popped up on the screen <laughs> in the opening video package. Absolutely. Yeah, no, Scheme Gene was uh, quite hilarious uh, to see. Especially we, after we talked to them about them a few weeks ago. And we talked yeah. about this one specifically where uh, Scheme Gene pops in on the Royal Rumble report that Jim Ross does, uh, or the Slam Jam, or the Slam hell Jam. calling it. Slam Jam. 
Um, so it's kind of, uh, it, it's kind of funny, but also dialing back about what, two, three weeks when we just talked about the fact that the December 95, uh, in your house, uh, was so poorly received that it ended up being used on television. We see the main event of that card, a very bloody main event and a great match, uh, from Hershey, Pennsylvania with the British Bulldog and, uh, Bret Hart's, uh, world title contest, uh, being the main event of this show, which again, they taped so much television that night that they still used a canned match. Yeah, no, uh, it's it's interesting to go back in time and see an encore main event, especially when you think about COVID time and how, how much early in the COVID season that the WWE was constantly running pay-per-view encores. So that's kind of been a more recent precedent as well. But that is a, that's a fantastic match. I mean, that is... Uh, you know, I think I would I would rank their SummerSlam match above it just because of the nostalgia and meaning behind that SummerSlam match. But they went all out in this match that's encored on this program. And it, as you said, it's like a bloodier, more hardcore version of kind of a similar match. It still has a wrestling feel to it, but there's also this extreme bloody version. And should the match be stopped or shouldn't should it not be stopped is constantly like pushed over commentary. But, yeah, it's a super entertaining match. And that uh, that match too specifically, uh, you know, that's one where I don't believe they were supposed to have any kind of blood, and you know they basically uh, did that behind Vince's back. But the blood played so well into the match, and you almost missed that, you know, because of what we know about you know bleeding in the ring and yada yada yada, and it's kind of passe and looked down upon. It played. It was basically the narrative of the match was how badly Brett was cut, and you get a. Uh... Vince on commentary, whether that's, I guess it's a shoot. I don't know if he's meaning it to, I, he knows when he's talking live and when he's talking to the production, I would assume, but he's, you know, he's constantly, or a couple of times, he's like, go to the wide shot. I, we can't, please don't do a close up. Go to the wide shot. Yeah. But, and I, and I think a lot of that has to do because of the fact it was, um, you know, a quote, hard way, uh, uh, bust open. And, and, you know, Brett's beauty is that when Brett felt they needed blood in a match, you know, they would get blood in a match. And, you know, Brett, if you think about it, I mean, Brett's a great technical wrestler and this and that, but think about some of his greatest matches where blood is a huge uh, part of the story. You know, obviously the Steve Austin match at WrestleMania 13, yeah. uh, even when he uh, uh, beats Piper for the Intercontinental Championship at WrestleMania 8, that was another one where they did a behind the back uh, blade job. Um, was that the one? Yeah, that was the one that he didn't even uh, disclose until his book, right? Yeah, that was a behind Vince's back Man, blade job. Know. Right. So that's, uh, you know, it's funny for him being such a technical master that blood, you know, played part in three great matches. Uh, now, I was, I was just going to say, he always breaks it out, though, in a big spot. It's not like, you know, he knows exactly when to do it. He, he's not willy-nilly bleeding or, or pushing you know, blood. Exactly. You know, and it's just, it's funny, as we're watching it here in, in front of us, you know, the opening match is Jeff Jarrett, Versus Hakushi, which uh, a great shirt uh, in the front row, which I don't even remember this being a thing. And I don't know why it hasn't been reissued and why you or I didn't have this shirt back then, CP, as we walked the halls of Thompson Middle School. But um, ain't I great on the front and not on the back? How do we not have that shirt? I have no idea, how, but it seems like it should have been in one of our possessions. For you, sure. many, you were stuck with the No Fear shirt. That's why the Rowdy Piper. <laughs> Actually, I don't believe I ever had a No Fear shirt. I love them, but I don't believe I had one. Or, or the Big Johnson shirts. Didn't have that either. 
remember him, but didn't have him. Hey, now, CP, you do remember this. I mean, many many a strut uh, uh, done. I in, remember. In school dances, uh, people's parties, uh, on the grounds of school. The, the Jeff Jarrett, a.k.a. Fargo strut, um, possibly uh, the most imitated thing of that era, <laughs> from what I remember. <laughs> I believe when I am drunk with at parties, I still occasionally do a Jeff Jarrett strut, just out of muscle memory, too. I don't know why. I, uh, I, I prefer to break into the crazy Rick, Ric Flair strut that's obviously yeah. gone forever, but but it's the structure of the Jeff Jarrett strut is the beauty to it. I uh, I can fancy myself a, a pretty damn good strutter if I uh, if I do say so myself. I haven't done one in probably uh, fifteen <laughs> years, but yeah, it's all it's always coming out with the alcohol. From what I remember, I think the last time I did do it was at a uh, a bar <laughs> in Red Bank uh, when uh, you know I, I I would be around the uh, the boys uh, get break out the Jarrett strut that and the Hunter Hearst Helmsley bow that was always another uh, <laughs> another great one. Yeah, the bow is a very classic thing as well. <laughs> I can do one for you here on the video. It's just the three of us uh, watching it. But, uh, you know, an interesting return here for Jeff Jarrett at this point in 95-96. Um, he, attacks, <laughs> he attacks Ahmed Johnson at that December 95 in your house and breaks the gold record of ain't I great over his head because of course that's why he was gone he was touring for ain't I great I mean we didn't know it at the time but yeah that's where <laughs> he was um but you know what we would come to learn is that he had some contract issues with Vince over the years that was one of the times where he left for just a, a brief amount of time but uh here's one thing I don't know how many people would realize this is that the Dean Dean Douglas was supposed to have uh, a feud going with Ahmed Johnson that would lead into the Royal Rumble and the Dean famously uh, backs out of the match, hands the, the ring uh, uh, over to Buddy Landell randomly, who was there for that show. And uh, the Dean is never seen ever again, but uh, there was going to be a, a program with the Dean and Ahmed Johnson that would have gone through the Royal Rumble, which is what would happen with Jeff Jarrett. It would be Jeff Jarrett versus Ahmed Johnson. And if I was the dean, I would have done the exact same thing. I would not be getting into the ring with Ahmed Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see that in just a couple of minutes as well. But what I always tell people about that December 95 in your house, and I think I mentioned it here on the air before, that's the franchise on that. It's not Dean Douglas. That is the franchise Shane Douglas in the dean's attire because it was Shane's last night, and he was absolutely done with the, the bull crap going on backstage. And he comes out completely as the franchise. So go back and watch it. If you're a fan of Shane, if you're a fan of the Dean, if you're a, a fan of um, what could have been with the franchise in, in the WWF, that is the only appearance you will see of him um, that night at that uh, Hershey park PA uh, in your house. And, and Shane tells a great story about it, which again, I'd love to get him on to talk about it one day. Um, if we can sync up the schedules, because the, uh, the story about even leaving the arena is just, it's, it's great. Um, but it opened the door for Jeff Jarrett to come back, which is, you know, it was cool, but you could tell he did not have that same aura that he had only a year ago as he was ascending to the Intercontinental Championship. Jeff Jarrett's a little, uh, he's a little neutered here compared to what they did with him and pushed the rocket up his ass a year before. Yeah, he's definitely a little neutered. Uh, He's, uh, they're still trying to do something with him though. I mean, he's in this match with Takushi, who's kind of, I would say on the downturn at this point. Oh, I, oh hell yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and the, oh, 
I'm sorry, we're watching the figure four right now. I, I don't mean to break conversation, but this Vince was hilarious in this figure four moment. It's very classic. Vince, I always think of the one, two, he got him, no, he didn't thing that he does on the pinfall. But yeah, um, yeah he was like, uh, Hakushi, he's reaching for the ropes. He's trying to get to the ropes. No, it's over. When he's, when he's <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Um, but yeah, no, no, Jeff Jarrett's definitely uh, not quite where he was a year prior. And Hakushi, I feel like, was, you know, probably underutilized, probably would be a bigger star today than he was in this era. Yes. Oh, 100%. And and only less than, what, six months before, he was uh, in a in a in-your-house, basically, main event match with uh, with Bret Hart. And here he is, you know, they, they turned him face for whatever reason, and he was paired with Barry Horowitz for whatever reason. And they completely pulled the rug out from underneath Hakushi, which, you know, uh, to the just to the naked eye. I mean, the entrance was epic. You know, yeah. the the look of the tattoos and the high flying that he was doing. <laughs> nobody else was doing it uh, yeah. before. And, yeah, you're exactly right. Um, he would be a huge star in, in, I guess, you know, with the, the modern fan. Uh, yeah, with the, as yeah I mean, the was then. The athleticism he had, and he's like five eleven or six foot. Like he, he would be like big today, or like above average size for guys that move like that. Versus being kind of small at this time. Yeah, absolutely. And he loses to Jeff Jarrett, submitting cleanly to uh, to the figure four. You know, not slip on a banana peel. You know, hurt his knee, something like that. He basically just gets set up for it, and figure four slapped on, and Jeff Jarrett struts his way to the uh, to the pay window, as the dream would say. Um, but that's then followed up by the Royal Rumble report, aka the Slam Jam, where they show an awesome hype video for Vader's debut, where Vader's out in the Rocky Mountains lifting weights and throwing crap around. And, you know, it, just to go back to 96, folks, he was a huge star in WCW in 95 and the world champion in 95. And to see that he was coming in, that was a pretty big deal. But. You know, as we know how it would go, it wouldn't be maybe what we all thought it was going to be. But still, at the time, that was a huge, huge pickup. Did you think, though, and I agree with you, but the hype video was kind of stuffed in the middle of the scan or slam jam report uh, about how he was going to be in the Royal Rumble. And then it was it was definitely cool footage, but it was shot over this like weird like 80s rock music <laughs> i don't know it was kind of a weird video well it was like a, you know it's it's rocky mountains you know it's just like a it's just a big you know guy do me a favor pause the video um it was just a big guy and it's a big rock and roll you know i, I get it it fit i you know, i'm just glad they didn't go with that for his theme music you know maybe if they played his theme music over it it would have been a little more effective what i just always thought was very funny and this could just be my you know ridiculous uh, 1995 uh, teenager, you know, uh, glasses looking at this. I always wondered why the Vader time was now in the front versus it being in the back. Never got it's, that. It's just definitely a Vince thing or a WWF thing. It has <laughs> you know to what I'm right? saying? It was how how random is that? You know, it goes from being in the the back of the uh, the singlet to the front of the singlet. I never even took notice to that until you mentioned. Well, <laughs> Wow. Because that's why that's why uh, you know I am where I am today because I noticed the little yeah. things. I mean, why um, wasn't he? Why wasn't he just called the Mastodon anyway? Well, you know, I'll tell you something. <laughs> I'm glad he wasn't, you know, the Mastodon. No, I'm, but I'm also glad he wasn't Big Van Vader. I like that he was just called Vader, and I love the man they call Vader. I just love that. I think it's so ridiculous sounding. 
And but it I still miss his, uh, his, his helmet. His, uh, his didn't getup. need it. You didn't need I it. I that. That was a part of him. It was a great part of the act, but it just wasn't needed in the WWF because if he had Jim Cornette, okay, that was a great yeah. vo- vo- vocal point and a, and a great um, front man for him. Here's what they could have done. They could have made a WWF version of the headgear, but you would have all been saying, oh, well, was, you know, the one he had before was better. I'm glad he didn't have it. I like that it wasn't a part of the uh, the act this time and that he was just, this is the man they call Vader. What the hell does that mean? What's a Vader? Is it Darth Vader? You know, is it, uh, what's Vader time? So I like that. And I like the pairing with Jim Cornette. I think that that's a, a perfect, perfect uh, manager for him. And obviously, you know, we won't fully go into it, but he gets great impact from the Royal Rumble into the next night on Raw and shown to be um, a powerhouse because he was injured when he came in. So that's another thing that kind of held back maybe the, uh, you know, the massive, massive what could have been in the first part of Vader's run. Um, But that hype video, I loved it. I thought that was great there. And that's why I look forward to those Royal Rumble sketches or those uh, segments. Remember, that was the Slam Jam. That was Doc Hendricks' (laughs) segment that Jim Ross was filling in for Doc for. That's why you have the giant portrait of Doc Hendricks in the background, which is hilarious. And and the schemer. Don't forget the scheme, Gene. Um, Yes, yes. We've done it without scheme. So that would dissolve right into Ahmed Johnson's uh, match for the evening. And uh, it is a squash match that raises eyebrows uh, for a few reasons. First, uh, his opponent for the evening. um, Yeah, Mr. Jeff Brattler. Now, I don't know if he was being ribbed by somebody and told to wear like what would essentially become Matt Hardy's uh, broken universe attire. Um, But he's wearing like what would equate to be like like your mom's like fancy like floral print pause pause it again like your mom's favorite floral print like suit pants but they're really baggy but they're not baggy like mc hammer baggy or sabu baggy they're just like literally huge like um uh what do you call you know like the uh the old school like you know the um uh, parachute thing they used to do parachute at school. Pants, you know, yeah. they throw this parachute up, everybody would run underneath. Like, that's what his pants look like. <laughs> yeah, they also look like they could be WWF Nasty Boys pants, but definitely, like, way more baggy. As you said, they're just an insane thing to be wearing. And and they're it's, also... It's got to be a rib. He has them pulled up over his belly button like Chris Christie. <laughs> like, it's they're very bizarre. I don't know why he's wearing them so high. It's got to be a rib because he just he looks absolutely ridiculous. And it's not like he's like a karate man. You know what I mean? It's like karate master Jeff Brattler, you know, on the independent scene in Newark, Delaware. He's a, a huge, you know, uh, karate champion. So nothing like that. He's just wearing these over exaggerated big parachute style floral mom pants. And he is getting. Yeah, he is getting the, the he's getting the shit kicked out of him by Ahmed Johnson from literally pillar to post from bell to bell when they dissolve from the slam jam to Ahmed Johnson's entrance. I don't know if Ahmed had like, uh, you know, um, a bad uh, like uh, plate of pasta or something and catering. I don't know if he had like spoiled milk. He's in a bad mood. And Jeff Brattler, literally, he gets his friggin body thrown, not in a suplex, like a Greco Roman throw 
and then gets a scissors, not even a kick, like a scissors uh, leg landing across the small of your back, um, looking really stiff and literally could be paralyzed by the end of the match. <laughs> yeah, there's no um, – I, I I always would say, like, I would probably do anything to be, like, a, a WWF – represent on WWF television as a wrestler at some point. Uh, but there's no – especially Jeff Brattler, who's probably getting paid, like, 200 bucks for this taping like that's not worth it to be in this ring with Ahmed Johnson at this time that's just insanity I mean it's literally just to get beat up and to get destroyed and Ahmed debuts at uh, Survivor Series 95 so uh, only about a month on TV for Ahmed Johnson so this is this is it this is what we're seeing of this guy and you know at the at survivor series he didn't do much he did like a sort of like hip toss of yokozuna probably the least impressive yokozuna body slam of anybody who had slammed him at that point and let me preface that by saying i could not body slam yokozuna i'm just saying as compared to others and for somebody his massive size uh you would think it'd be a little easier um but he didn't do much so we didn't really see what he had to offer at the uh the survivor series and uh, we saw what he had to offer against Mr. Uh, Baggy Pants. And uh, he just literally, he came out ba- basically within an inch of his life. <laughs> <laughs> that Pearl River plunge, though, man, that's, uh, I would not want to take that That was the move. safest thing in the match, okay? The okay, Pearl River plunge is the safest cer- thing in the match. Certainly the safest thing in the match. It's just always, when I when I was younger, I always thought that was like a really cool move. <laughs> he could have come in the ring literally with a pipe that he found like in the backstage area, <laughs> smashed him over the head with the pipe. And this poor guy would probably have less damage to his body <laughs> than he did after getting literally chucked. So now here's a great thing. So Jeff Jarrett hits the ring and the, 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 the guitar like perfectly stays in the corner. And uh, Ahmed not happy about uh, almost getting decapitated by a, uh, a guitar so he's going to show Jeff Jarrett what he thinks of country music and this uh, this beautiful, beautiful guitar that, by the way, is already broken. <laughs> hey, it gets broken a little more now. <laughs> Jeff Jarrett is cool, is fun in this era, though. Like he he like I, I enjoy that he ran in the ring, missed the shot from behind, and then cowardly ran away and was afraid of the action. And then, like even in the prior match, he did the uh, uh, he he played the he did the abdominal stretch trying to hold the ropes when the referee wasn't looking. Like, I, I just love actions like that. That's those yeah. are just things I enjoy. Um, <laughs> that's great. And it's almost as good as the fact that I, I was going to sneak ahead a week and uh, take a, a sneak peek at the Raw episode that they promote on uh, this, this episode of Raw because not only do you have a catch-as-catch-can uh, classic of Marty Jannetty taking on Owen Hart, but you get, like we talked about with Jenny on the show a few weeks ago, Pause the video. You get uh, the Undertaker battling Isaac Yankum DDS in a, a prelude of sorts to the epic uh, saga that would be the Undertaker and Kane just a few years down the road. That's all your favorites in one episode, Big Marty and the oh, uh, shit. It really you're just, is. You're just <laughs> missing and be a party. <laughs> oh my god, that's right! Wow, that's exactly right. Uh, Marty, of course, you know, five stars out of me and uh, uh, Isaac, uh, you know, looking pretty good carrying that other guy. What's his face to uh, great, uh, great match? Uh, but now, so, so all this, guy. yeah, what's his name? I forgot. Um, 
So all this to get to basically the mid part of the show with, again, just a transition out of that uh, commercial slow dissolve. So currently in the ring is brother love. So no exaggerated, you know, snap of the mic. Brother love gives us a welcome. You know, this is the brother love show. And my guest this week is a man, my benefactor, or the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. None of that. We don't get the music of DiBiase. We get none of that. We have him currently in the ring with the million-dollar belt in his hand. Now, to give you a little bit of backstory, there was a search, sort of, for a million-dollar champion. The million-dollar man would mention it every so often, that he was looking for the perfect million-dollar champion. And we all know the belt. The belt is maybe the best of that era, of the uh, the Federation years, is that million-dollar belt. The absolute uh, beauty, if you see one of them up close, is awe-striking. It it will be mine eventually, and I'm going to have all studded diamonds in it. You better, you better get rid of that uh, record collection if you want to uh, make room for the million dollar championship belt. But uh, absolutely, uh, you know, a shocker here as now you can play the video as they they kind of build up, you know, what we're about to see, what they uh, you know personifies uh, the million dollar champion and who it's going to be, and you know all this build for the ringmaster. And then here's the Million Dollar Man music and the Steve Austin era of the WWF uh, commences. But it's just in such a, a weird, weird way. How'd you like to be in the crowd that night and, and see and, and if you could see him and find out that it's this guy, Steve Austin from WCW, but coming out to the Million Dollar Man's music in, you know, money green tights and, uh, you know, looking great in great shape. But this is him. This is the ringmaster. What do you, you're in the crowd? What do you think? Um, I'm in the crowd. I'm probably not necessarily thinking anything crazy. It's it probably just feels like kind of a normal part of the show, even though Ted DiBiase is promoting him as this big figure. Um, I love right there, by the way, that Steve Austin gets a little kind of back and forth with a crowd person real quick. Like a it's like a classic Steve Austin thing, even though he's in ringmaster attire. Uh, yeah, no, I feel like the crowd would not be overwhelmed by this. Uh, I feel like it would be kind of a regular moment and a little lost uh, as far as what it really is. Yeah. And here's another thing, too, that I find to be uh, quite interesting. From a wide shot, he looks like Ken Kennedy. Doesn't he? Mr. And Mr. Kennedy, Mr. Kennedy, very inspired by the Austin era. I just think that's kind of funny, like from far away when he still has the little peach fuzz. Uh, on his head, it looks like Mr. Kennedy. But the thing that I found interesting about this promo where he sticks out the hand and he wants everybody in the crowd to reach out and touch, you know, the greatness that is the ringmaster. Yeah. This is a very wrestler like promo by Austin, where it's a lot of brothers, a lot of mans, a lot, you know, and it's just generic wrestler speak, which we obviously know that that's not what would be the bread and butter of the rattlesnake. Am I right? It sounds exactly yeah. like you would just a cookie cutter, copy and paste wrestler promo from the nineties. You know he didn't what? Give us the bottom line, did he? <laughs> no, there was no bottom line there, and he definitely said "man" a hundred times in this promo, which is I, I connected it with brother, as you just said. Um, but I do think there was an underlying element to this promo where you could tell, like, and I don't remember noticing this in the time. This is me in hindsight, but. You could tell this guy cuts a good promo. He certainly like got way better at his promos when he was in ECW. Like it's, it feels like all the, 
uh, pomp and circumstance around this like brings it down almost because like, it's just he's just such a good pure talker. You don't need Brother Love's music playing right. over it while the two of them, him and DiBiase, are standing there in you know in full DiBiase and Brother Love garb. Even though I will say, if you could ever debut me in wrestling, I would prefer it be by the combination of Brother Love and Ted DiBiase because there just seems to be a good chance that you will become a massive star if you are debuted by those two. It's kind of a two for two thing. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, <laughs> in 1990 at the survivor series, that combination uh, brings out the undertaker. And then, uh, you know, only uh, six years later is bringing out the, uh, the, the Texas rattlesnake. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's not, it's got significance from a historic point of view, but it's really not that impressive. It, it's it like you said. It's the brother love music going on, and it's a generic wrestler, you know, a promo. And you know, I I don't really think brother love was needed. That could have just been Vince in the ring, or it could have been Jerry Lawler in the ring. It didn't need to be brother love, and that's why it's weird. The brother love segment coming back in like uh, October or so '95 was gone by the beginning of '96. I don't even know why they brought it back on air. It just it uh, I don't know. It didn't fit the the new generation. Yeah, he's Vince's right hand man. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Vince he's... was just looking for something for uh, the Bruce man on camera. Yeah, he's something. He's he's right hand of nothing. He's uh, <laughs> he's he's whatever he wants to be. But I digress. I mean, then we're gone. Then the ringmaster's out. It's done. He's we're done with him. It's over. We'll Biggest see him debut on of all show. time. It's in WWF land. I mean, outside of, you know, when Hulk Hogan comes and, and has Bob Backlund's back against the wild Samoans, you know, and the undertaker debuting at the, uh, or, survivor, or the Godly series, Gooker, you know, you know, when you, well, well, I'm talking about like main event guys and you think about 19, yeah. the 1990 survivor series, the undertaker, you know, you think about, uh, you, you know, the, the macho man and how they brought him out, uh, the rock or Rocky, Maivia, 95, the, Rocky the Rocky Maivia build in, in 96, you know, you think about this and, and here we go. Here's, <laughs> here's the biggest star next to Hogan in the company's history. And, uh, yeah, he was a transition spot on the brother love show. And now we've got a gold dust versus Aldo Montoya match. Uh, where Goldust is on the rise here himself on his way to the, the Intercontinental title at the Royal Rumble um, and still wearing a very, very gold version of his attire, which is a little – doesn't leave a lot to the imagination, if, if you understand what I'm saying there. <laughs> he wasn't <a> natural. <laughs> it's, a little it's a little tight in the crotchal region. Um For, for my comfort. but That's his uh, uh, testicular fortitude, Sean. I'm sorry, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> That's all right, but he was very uh, he, he was very ambiguous, as uh, Vince <laughs> liked to say. And he's uh, you know great match here with with two great workers. You know, in one guy painted all up in gold, and the other guy you know wearing a jockstrap on his head. Um, but this is what you know a guy like like PJ, aka Just Incredible. This is where he really, you know, gritted his teeth. He was known as one of these guys that could work with anybody and make these heels look like a million bucks. And and I think it's great to watch his trajectory through his career as we see him go from PJ Walker to Aldo Montoya to then Just Incredible and a guy who could have great matches. Um, technically, technically main eventing Monday Night Raw here. Well, so I I actually agree with you, and it was it struck me uh, I, whenever I, when I rewatched this a little, um, 
Aldo Montoya was great in this match, and Goldust is a little like slow almost. Uh, and I consider like current day Dustin Rose to be like amazing as far as how good of a worker he is. Like, and it seems like he's better at fifty than he was at like a chubby, uh, yeah. 26 or whatever he is here. Yeah, isn't it unbelievable that he's, you know, as great as he is now and how he still is just an amazing, um, you know, worker uh, in the ring that he's only in his mid-20s here? Yeah, no, it's crazy. It's it's incredible. I'm just digging the slam. We're, ba- we're back in the slam, slam jam. You saw the doc- <laughs> see the Doc Hendricks photo? I do. That was there all the time for the slam jams. Yeah. I always loved when they would come through and the slam jam would be just like, you know, you'd be watching Fox 5 and he'd be like, well, New York City, we're coming back to the garden. And it would still be that great Doc Hendricks, you know, uh, photo behind him. Um, he's just a great uh, overlooked uh, persona, the Doc Hendricks character at that point, you know, like where he was so over the top. Yeah. But uh, before we get to the canned uh, main event, the show that was taped already, uh, the December 95 in your house, we get this press conference where these people are just so happy that Shawn Michaels is coming back <laughs> to the Royal Rumble. I think the best part about this whole thing is that the 96 Rumble would feature a brand new Royal Rumble logo. So this is really the last time we see the traditional purple Royal Rumble banner hanging for a Royal Rumble press conference. That's very interesting. I didn't even uh, put that together, but you're 100% right. And that, yeah, that, that, Thing behind him, it looks like it just came off the ring from all the prior Royal Rumbles. It was, you know, who's that ring apron? And oh, and that's definitely the one that you know when Hulk Hogan uh, is waving the flag at the '91 Rumble. That's the one that's hanging behind him, you know, and all the great uh, Rumble moments up to that point. That's what I, I love about that. It's like saying goodbye to uh, a part of the uh, the Rumble's history because even in the Slam Jam, you can see in the little television screens behind Jim Ross, it's the newer logo they'd use for. I think only the the 96, 97 and 98 rumbles. Um, but you know, there you go. The purple rumble, uh, uh, apron is, uh, is now gone. I love those colors. Yeah. They were great. Very yeah. underrated thing to miss. You know, it's, it's, it's something that, um, it, it's so reflective of that era. You know, you, when you see it, you instantly think of those great, hey, that's a 92 yeah, they have that, that You can set your ring up like that in the WWE 2K games, and it's just really sweet and nostalgic to do that with that rumble. That's very cool. I've never played one, so I don't, uh, I'm not familiar. You know, it's crazy with um, this segment, like you have, you know, Bret Hart always talks about how he feels like this title reign was a little hijacked as far as just, you know, get to WrestleMania and hand the title to Sean. And it's like, you look at this raw and it start, and I mean, it makes sense if they're trying to t- turn Sean into the next star and they don't know who the ringmaster is yet, but um, you know, they, it opens with the, with the Sean press conference shot. And then we get right before the encore of Brett Bulldog, you get the Sean Michaels press conference in the slam jam. And then you get those promos from diesel and razor where they both basically say, if Sean Michaels makes it to the rumble, he's going to win. Like he's he's a star and he's going to WrestleMania, and then Owen Hart uh, says he's gonna in, he's gonna make him so he can't compete anymore because he's the one that injured him in the first place. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's this is all built up to this encore of Brett Bulldog. It's just all about Shawn Michaels. Yeah, that's uh, it's very strange. But hey, he was the guy that was uh, the golden goose, and they were getting ready to put the uh, the yeah. strap on him. So Not fast forward. That- Fast forward to the end here, Tim, just so we uh, right before the, the sign off, 
Uh, because, I mean, we don't need to watch the match. I mean, there's uh, Diana Hart at ringside, and it's <laughs> bloody, bloody, bloody. Brett retains. Um, you know, when we see Bulldog back in the title picture, uh, mid 96 with Shawn Michaels in the <laughs> hilarious storyline that, you know what, I think might be next week's show. Uh, the Bulldog, uh, Diana, Bre- uh, Shawn Michaels, uh, story, uh, the, the saga of the love triangle that really wasn't there, but, uh, we get closed out by an undertaker promo CP. You were the one who told me this. I tapped out. Uh, what does the Undertaker and Paul Bearer have to say as we uh, we close out this edition of Monday Night Raw? Uh, very little. <laughs> um, Paul Paul Bearer is just is saying, "Oh, you uh, you people always ask me why the Undertaker's not a world title match. Well, now he is." And then the Undertaker talks about how his creatures of the night will see him win the world title, and Bret Hart will never be the champion or will no longer be the champion at WrestleMania. So it's uh, it's very meat of just all of a sudden the undertaker wants the world that was the best undertaker impression i've ever heard by the way <laughs> Under, you mean paul bear impression no I thought no, he, no, I thought, no he was great on paul bear i thought you potted up the audio for paul bear i was uh <laughs> taking it back <laughs> yeah that's it <laughs> and, and before we we say goodbye and they hype up the uh the epic kane versus undertaker match on uh, next week's raw uh, a shout out to the kid behind Vince and Jerry Lawler with the Razor Ramon uh, foam uh, razor blade <laughs> behind Vince's shoulder. Yes. I wonder if that that bespeckled little dork behind uh, <laughs> behind Vince. Actually, maybe I shouldn't say anything about that kid. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't say anything about that kid. But um, I wonder if that kid's got that uh, that foam finger still to this day. We don't need to talk yeah. about billionaire Ted. We, we already talked about this one. <laughs> We can't move to video, obviously. <laughs> no, we cannot. Just a, there's a great uh, mustached Vince Russo uh, before we uh, we end this one. But yeah, you can kill it. We don't need to talk about this. This is the uh, the. I think this is the first billionaire Ted sketch. Um, I just want to run down a couple of the other matches that were taped on this Monday Night Raw taping that did not make it to air. Uh, let me see. Or did they just? Oh no, the dark match after the taping. WWF World Champion Bret Hart. The Undertaker and WWF Intercontinental Champion Razor Ramon defeat Psycho Sid, Yokozuna, and Isaac Yankum when Razor pinned Sid. When Razor pinned Sid. Yeah, interesting. So this is what you got to see if you went to that show. You saw the 12-18-95 Monday Night Raw. You saw the... 1224 action zone match Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Uh, oh, excuse me. It was just a brother love segment with Hunter Hearst Helmsley. You saw the January 1st, 96 raw bowl, uh, which is a, uh, that's a pretty classic uh, show. Maybe we'll go back and watch that yeah. at some point. You saw the January 8th, 96, which is what we just watched. And you also saw the January uh, 15th raw tape, but you also saw squeezed in there. From the January 13th, 96 WWF Mania show, Bret Hart defeats Buddy Landell. <laughs> oh, wow. It's a great match. I mean, you had yeah. Bret Hart against the real nature boy. What else are you going to do? But after all that, you got this epic six-man tag, you know, to, to close out your night. I mean, Jesus, Lord almighty. I, I At 95, I could 
pretty much um i could just i could do that all day every day absolutely <laughs> um but that is a freaking shitload of wrestling for one night in 1995 i just want to know what the catering was like backstage for the amount of hours those guys had to stay at the arena it's insane but a testament to those guys that they could put up with it. That Apparently is, uh, not that well because of all Med coming out all rough and tough. You know, he was mad. Well, he just was mad because, you know, the uh, his meatballs were a little smushed. Um, and I guess since they ribbed the hell out of his op- opponent with that attire, they must have said that he's the one who did it. And uh, he probably got a swirly uh, afterwards. You know, it's funny. He looks like the guy. Remember the episode where uh, uh, I think Superstars – Maybe it is raw where Ahmed pushes the guy through the uh, the door <laughs> to get to gold dust. It looks like that guy. <laughs> was Je- Jeff Stratter? Is that who we said it was? Oh, Jeff uh, Bat- Stratter or Strutter? Jeff Batsler? Batsler, that was it. Jeff yeah. Bratler. 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 Uh, yeah, one of yes. one of those will work. One of one of those will stick. We'll get the guy a name uh, at some point, but. Um, all in all, you know, it was fun to go back and watch. I enjoyed it very much. Um, easy, you know, it's just easy. And that's the difference between now and, and then where it's a chore to get through uh, a wrestling show. Now, this was just freaking, you know, blink and it was over. That is so true. Isn't it fun to watch like a one hour raw? I mean, it's like 45 minutes without commercials. Oh, yeah. and, it, and it's just like even like a segment that's bad. It's just fun. Like it's it's not. Yeah, it's not these dragged out segments to try to fill three hours of time. I don't well, know, that's that's fun. what I was saying about those dissolves. They dissolved from the slam jam into Ahmed's entrance, and from Ahmed's entrance into the superstars pro or the, the Monday Night Raw promo into the next uh, segment, which was the uh, Brother Love Show. So it's rapid fire, but it gets you wanting more. It gets you wanting the next episode to come as soon as it possibly can. And, uh, you know, it's just it's one of those things. It's a uh, it's a lost era. I mean, we're we're still in technically a down era with everything we're watching. But it's I I just this is just so much more fun to watch than a modern. Yeah, Yeah, without a doubt. So that's why next week we will go right ahead and we'll talk about the uh, the the saga that was uh, the British Bulldog, his wife, Diana Hart Smith, of course, and Shawn Michaels and the accusations that Shawn Michaels was trying to uh, lure the uh, the Bulldog's wife uh, to maybe a little uh, uh, marital uh, distress and cheat on her husband. Um, the promos by Jim Jim Cornette are fantastic. Uh, the in-ring with the three of them, when uh, Diana tells uh, Shawn that she knows that he wants her, and he says the classic, don't flatter yourself. One, I, I'm not a big Shawn Michaels fan, but I love that segment. No, it's definitely a great segment, and that's just a memorable line. That's, you know, it's one of the best Shawn lines ever. <laughs> <laughs> with with all due respect, don't flatter yourself. <laughs> don't flatter yourself. I would love to ask uh, the franchise what he thinks about uh, whether or not that was a real uh, line that Shawn used with the ladies back then. Um, but uh, but that's what we'll tackle. We'll tackle that next week. So, Tim, bookmark that somewhere uh, so you can uh, pull some of those clips and we will check them out, culminating with the King of the Ring 96 um, uh, match. Uh, they had another in your house match in there, too. What's that? One of the most epic King of the Rings. 
Yes, it is. It absolutely is. Uh, oh, I mean, and why are you? Why are we saying goodbye as they're rerunning the uh, the great Mister Perfect shooting free throws? Come on, this is up here for pure distraction. Uh, if you put up the one where he's hitting home runs with Wade Boggs, I may just like <laughs> take both of you guys off the uh, the show and just watch the uh, the end of it. So now I know it's time to say goodbye because I can't get distracted by something that I can't. You know what? I have to take this off the screen because I'm just gonna can't get distracted by something so, that's perfect. <laughs> absolutely all right so uh we'll say goodbye for this week if you want to follow me anywhere in the social media land it's at chad emb please feel free to check out the rest of the podcast here on the tmpt empire if you haven't done so already of course you have because you're subscribed uh so you caught caught all the interviews that john's got in the repertoire you've caught dr tom and all the hijinks going on with that show the great historical run that he has every single week and uh, for anything else going on there, it's tmptempire.com. And feel free to visit my website. It's ibexclusives.com if you're in the uh, the market for some uh, sports memorabilia needs uh, this holiday season. If you're looking for some autographs of some of your favorite baseball players or you need a gift, head over to ibexclusives.com. You won't be disappointed. So, uh, CP, any update with the Stick and Moves podcast here? I mean, I swear to God, I, I keep going back and listening to your archive that you talk about every week, but I'm just sitting on the edge of my damn seat waiting for your new season. I haven't seen it yet, so uh, hopefully you've got new, some updates. <laughs> there's going to be a new season. There will be a season two. I have plans in place. They have not really taken fruition yet, uh, but they uh, we will be recording a season two uh, in the near future. However, you can check out the season one archives if you just Google the Stick and Move Stories podcast. There are 12 fantastic episodes, um, each one focused on a historic fight in the history of boxing, or sometimes not historic. Uh, and yeah, Google Stick and Move Stories podcast. You'll find the podcast. It's all it's available on Spotify and Anchor if you want to look it up that way. Uh, and it's a, you know it's a fun little documentary style events uh that i think you can uh fall into very easily and other than that you can find me at pugs with three z's p-u-g-z-z-z on twitter and you can find me on this podcast the new generation declassified um and you might see me walking down the street someday i might have a stick and a bag uh or a foam razor or a foam razor (laughs) Uh, but yes, yes, you you find me on at Pugs at Twitter. You definitely had that foam razor. <laughs> you did. Stop it! Don't tell people you, that. You did, didn't you? Am I am I correct? I thought you did. No, I absolutely had the foam razor. <laughs> I was Good. doing. I literally used to try to do drugs with it with the foam razor. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, the family. I, <laughs> I've said it before. Yeah, I think I said it on the merch episode. I mean, this kid had every freaking foam finger from what I remember. I mean, like everyone, like the cutouts of people, you know, like uh, I think it was Warrior, right? Was like a filled with that stuff right now. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, maybe it is. But yeah, I want to say the Warrior cutout, right? It was something like that. It was, uh, there was a couple, but the Ahmed, oh, the Brett Target, the, you know, the excellence of execution. Come on. You had all of them. (laughs) I had it. For another podcast of yours, I did have a Brett Saberhagen foam finger as well. Oh, I'll have, to, I'll have to ask Mr. Saberhagen if he uh, remembers those being marketed and whether or not they were even licensed. So they were passed uh, out for free at the stadium one day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you were at Brett Saberhagen foam finger day, huh? 
Yes. Jeez. Can't Do you remember that playing last Saber Hagen on RBI 3 baseball for Nintendo? I don't Saber because my, R- my RBI baseball ends at 1, and uh, that was the only game I'd ever play because they had the 86 Mets in it, so there was no need to go to any other RBI baseball. <laughs> I loved playing with the Mets back then. Uh, well, we don't want to turn this into another uh, Chad product, so we will uh, say goodbye out. Tim, say uh, where, where, where we can find you before we uh, we sign off for the evening. Uh, the usual, Vaz Deferon. I will not be having a new season coming out for Vaz Deferon, so you have nothing to look forward to there. I'm sorry. That's it? All right. Well, fine. Well, that's it. Uh, that's enough out of everybody here. You've heard enough. Go back and watch this Raw. It was a lot of fun. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Uh, there are listeners who are going back and listening to, or excuse me, watching old shows on the network and uh, go ahead and do it. And to those, I give you a nice little uh, hat tip. So for CP and Tim, the crack broadcast team, another edition in the books. This is the Chadster. We will catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.